If you would, stand with me as we read together from God's Word. We'll be continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. You'll find the text on your notes, but also on the screens. Let's read together. However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision does not matter, but keeping God's commands does. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I used to think my mom was terribly unjust. She had this system for me and my three brothers where for a week she would assign a different chore. And this was all related to our uh, meal at the end of the evening. We had other chores that we always had to do, but we had a nightly chore that was on a rotation. Some nights, or if we were on the, this particular week, our chore was to clear the table off. That was a good week. All you had to do was take this, the food and the plates off the table and get them into the kitchen. The next week was not quite as good because then you had to empty the dishwasher. And that was going to take definitely more time, and you might have to think about where things were going because if she found them in the wrong spot, she was going to make you do it again. But then... I mean, the really bad week would come. And the worst part about it was, even on the first two weeks, you knew it was coming. And so you couldn't quite enjoy those others because you knew that week three was going to come around. And despite the fact that I could tease my brothers about it being their week during when it wasn't mine, I knew that it was going to come back and get me. Because week three, this was the week. This was the week that I would have to rinse the dishes. Now, I don't know what the point of having a dishwasher is if you have to wash them the first time and then put them in, but that was the situation. We were expected to rinse, I mean, very, very well rinse, because if she found food on them, again, you had to do it over. She'd take them out, and you had to rinse them again. We had to rinse the dishes and then put them in. I thought this was a terribly unjust situation. After all, I only dirtied one plate. Why did I have to rinse all of the plates and then the dishes that were used to cook? I thought it was terribly unjust. Until I had three boys in my house. <laughs> and now I know that my mom was not thinking about how to equi equitably distribute the chores between the three of us. What she was thinking was, if I don't get help, then I'm going to be cleaning the kitchen till midnight every night with that many mouths to feed and take, uh, take care of. It seemed unjust at the time to have my mom requiring these chores, these assignments. 
And sometimes when people assign us a task, it can feel as if it is an unjust kind of a moment. Well, today we're going to look at a place where uh, Paul tells this Corinthian church that the Lord has made some assignments. And it's going to feel unjust at some places as we read it, certainly coming from our context. It's going to feel like that uh, God was not looking out for the best interest of these people. But we need to understand that there is something deeper happening as we think about the assignments that the Lord has made. So just take a deep breath. Let's look at the assignments. And then I want you to see why it is that the Apostle Paul would call this Corinthian church to remain in the situation they were in. Because that is indeed the, the main idea here. If you've got your, your text and a pen, take it out because I want you to see this. I'm not making this up. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul lays out what is going to be his big idea for this particular section. So just, just underline, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. I know that's a long section, but underline it. Because it's not the only time that the Apostle Paul is going to talk like that to this church. Then he's going to talk about circumcision and uncircumcision. And then look at verse 20. He's going to say something that ought to sound very familiar. He says, each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Do you see the connection with what preceded? He's repeated that each person must remain in the situation that the Lord assigned when he called. And then look down at verse 24. We're going to see it a third time. Each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. So the Apostle Paul does not want these people to miss the point. Whatever life situation you found yourself in, when God miraculously worked to bring you out of death into life through faith in Jesus Christ, stay there. Stay in that position. Now, then he talks about ethnicity around uh, being Jew or Greek. And that we can probably look over. But what tends to strike modern ears is that he would advise, not just advise, but, but instruct this church that if they find themselves to be slaves, to stay as slaves. That's a hard thing for us to, uh, to hear. It seems unjust. There's a couple of things that, uh, that I want you to keep in mind as we are reading this as modern readers. And the first is a pretty big one, because we, when we think about slavery, we are inevitably shaped by our understandings of our own American history and the evils of the American slave trade and, and all of the oppression that went along with it. Our understanding of slavery is shaped by that picture. But that's not the picture in the Greco-Roman world. Now, to be fair, there certainly were massive abuses of, of people that would be similar to what we, uh, we might think about when we think about uh, African-American slavery here in the United States. There is some of that that happens in the Greco-Roman world. But if you look back through the literature and you, uh, you study the life and times of this first century era, every scholar points to the same thing that slavery in this era was a widely varying experience. 
Yes, there were some who experienced incredible oppression and it was evil and wrong, but the spectrum of experiences goes from there all the way up to evidence that there were slaves, people who were slaves, who operated as managers, as doctors, as childcare providers. Basically, these were people that were just regular, ordinary folks. And it's not that their wages went to their master. No, they, they worked for themselves, and they collected money for themselves. In fact, there's evidence that in this Greco-Roman era that some slaves even had their own land and property. This is a very different reality than what we think about when we think about slavery in the history of our own nation. And so we have to, to, to recognize that distance first when we look at what Paul says here remain in the situation in which you were called. Now, with that kind of context in mind, what is it that would, would precipitate this kind of discussion? Because remember, in 1 Corinthians, this particular section of it, Paul is responding to questions that the church had written to him about. He talked about marriage and uh, about different situations related to that. And so now he talks about slavery and circumcision, and clearly it is coming out of some circumstance. Now, we don't know for sure, but here's what we think. It, it, it could have been two kind of realities, one of which was that there were slaves who became Christians, and their masters were also Christians, and they were coming to church together. And so they were sitting in the same pews, hearing the same sermons, going to the same Sunday school classes, and the slaves were hearing, you are free in Christ, that there is no debt paid, no debt owed because Christ has paid your debt, and that there is a new creation that you are formed in in Christ, and you are part of a new family. And so what might have been happening is some of these slaves were thinking, yeah, that's right, I'm free. And so I'm just going to go ahead and act like a free person and blow off my master. Now, understand that the way that a lot of folks, in fact, most folks, got into slavery in the Greco-Roman world wasn't by being stolen or kidnapped. They were brought into slavery usually because they were in massive debt and they, in effect, indentured themselves to a master who would pay them so that they could work off their debt. Uh, let, me, let me kind of give you this picture to help you think about it. A few weeks ago, I was playing the game Life. Do you remember that old game um, with, uh, with my kids? Where you have a little car and you put the little pegs in there that are blue for boys and pink for girls and you drive around. Y'all are not looking like you've ever played Life. Um, okay, so maybe a few of you have. If you haven't, I'm sorry. You've missed out on a major life experience. Well, I was educating my boys in the game of life by playing life, and they came right off the bat to the question of going to college or not. And I don't know if you've seen the new rules, but the new rules state that if you want to go to college, you have to borrow $100,000 right off the bat. That seemed enormous. And then I thought, oh, no, that's about how it works, right? That's about what it costs to, uh, to go to college. And so I thought, this is a good lesson. So I let the boys, uh, my two older sons, they decided they were going to go to college. And so I passed out those promissory notes. My youngest son, Luke, he was on to this game, and he said, no, 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 I'm just going to be a race car driver. I don't have to have a college degree for that. And so 
he and I, we were playing together. We just progressed on. Well, my older two boys said, no, no, we want to, we want to go big. We're going to get the college degree. So they get the college degree. They get their careers. So they're, they're getting money, and they get ready to pay off their debt. And they give me at the banker $100,000 and say, hey, Dad, I'm going to pay this off. And I said, you need more money. And so I'm, I borrowed $100,000. I'm giving you $100,000 back. Isn't that the way it works? No, son, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. You know how it works. If we borrow money, we, uh, it costs interest to be able to pay that off. Well, look, in the same way in our culture that millions of young adults are taking on enormous amounts of college debt that take them sometimes two decades to work off before they are free financially to pursue their goals, they are functionally slaves. Part of their income is owed to somebody else, even though they're living, in, in our sense of the word, they're living free. However, financially they're not. They owe a debt to that provider. And that's kind of the way slavery worked back in the Greco-Roman era. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases. And so what's happening in the context of the church is these people who have, who have taken on a debt and have agreed to pay it back, they have an obligation to pay it back, they're in the church saying, oh, well, there's no more debt, so I'm walking on this thing. And suddenly, their freedom is no longer about justice. It's actually an act of injustice. It's no longer about uh, getting free to pursue their life options. They're doing that. But now they are saying, I'm going to renege on paying back my brother. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. You, you stay where you're at, and you pay those debts. You keep that relationship right and secure because there's something more important for you than just being financially free. There's something greater that is true of you and your relationships than just who is the debtor and who is the lender, who is the slave and who is the master. When you come into this new family in Christ, there's something deeper that is true of you than those merely human equations. And so as we think about this, we, we look into that world and we say, oh, that starts to make a little more sense, why Paul would say, remain. But we also know that not only could that have been the circumstance, we, we also know that what was very common in the Greco-Roman era was for slaves to actually advance themselves up by selling themselves to a different person. So they would be slave to, uh, to one person, and then they would, they would meet and find a person who was more wealthy or who had more status. And they would get that person to agree to buy them out so that they could come and be a part of that household. And, and in fact, it was, sometimes it was more advantageous for these folks to be slaves if they could be slaves in a wealthy, influential household than to be out on their own. Because if they were in one of those households with a good and generous master who was wealthy and influential, then they were the responsibility of the master. They didn't have to provide for themselves anymore. They did their jobs, and they were taken care of. Sometimes it was better for them in that context. 
And so what the Apostle Paul is also saying here is, look, you, you can't go status-seeking. If you aren't content in this place that God has called you and you're constantly uh, grasping on to the next advantage and using even your status as a free person or as a slave to one and could be a slave to another, if you're just constantly motivated by advancing your, your own status, then you've missed the deep truth of the gospel, that the status you have received in Jesus is far more valuable than any status you could receive by another master. And so he says, stay put. Don't race up this ladder of social status in your culture, but rather remain in the place in which God called you because he has a purpose and a plan for you there. The expression bloom where you're planted is not found in the Bible, but it's pretty close. And so if you find yourself sick in the hospital all the time, don't resent that season and that time in life. Remember what happened in John chapter 9. There's a man born blind, and, and everybody's asking, uh, why did this happen to him? Did he sin or did his parents? And Jesus says, no, no, no. This happened so that my Father might be glorified. If you find yourself walking through a season of illness, don't strive and, and, and let all your prayers be about, get me out of this. Trust God that he's put you in this situation for his glory and seek to use that circumstance to point others to the infinitely more valuable healing that you have through Jesus Christ. If you find yourself working for a boss that is just unjust, you're not being treated right as an employee, then remember Joseph. He's a guy who, who worked for, for years for an employer who was faithful and good and made this guy prosperous. And then and he was accused of, of doing something that he didn't do. And his boss believed it and had him thrown in jail. And yet in jail, God would meet him and begin to use him and ultimately would save not just one nation but many nations from famine. If you find yourself under an unjust employer. Don't strive or be angry or resentful for the circumstance. Recognize that the God of your circumstance can use it for your good and His glory if you'll trust Him. And if you feel like you're just kind of languishing in the obscurity, waiting to be discovered, or maybe realizing that Maybe no one ever will discover you. Wishing that you could be back in the prime and not sure what to do with this next season of life. Don't resent the circumstance. Don't let your heart be caught up in that moment, in that season. But remember what God did with David. He sent that young man out into the fields 
So that even when the prophet Samuel came looking for a king, his own dad forgot about him. And yet God had appointed him in that season of obscurity to be prepared for a moment of glory that would come in a sovereign ruler's time. And so, if you're in a season that you feel like God's forgotten you, don't, don't resent and push and, and rail to get out. Trust Him. He knows your situation, and He intends to use it for your good and His glory. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to, to press on these people was that we get so caught up in our circumstances, the, the horizontal realities of our lives, and we, we get so, so outraged at what we perceive to be injustice on this level, and we've forgotten entirely to look at this dynamic, to see that the one who has rescued us, who has given his own son for us, who has created this whole world and is navigating it for his purposes, is fully able not just to see and know where you are, but to take where you are and to use it for his glory and his good. So Paul says, remain in your situation. Now I've already alluded to why it is that he says this, but what he's pointing them to is that what really counts is not going to be these external realities. The, the issue of circumcision helps us to see this most readily. He, he points to the fact that there were some who were, who were getting surgical procedures to make it look like they weren't circumcised. And there were some who were getting surgical procedures to make it look like they were and this might sound really bizarre and odd to you, but remember back in its context, the guys didn't go golfing, right? They didn't go golfing. Do you, do you remember your, your junior high history? Do you know where the guys went and hung out? It was in the bathhouse. And just newsflash, they didn't have to wear a shirt or shoes or anything else. And so this was a deal. And so some of these Christian men are, are going into a situation where they're very exposed and people are looking at them and they're making judgments about them based on these physical externalities. And their temptation is to change their physical reality so that they can advance their social standing. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't attempt to change these external things that just don't matter. It's not that, they're, that he's doing away with their ethnicity. He's not saying that uh, you're no longer a Greek or you're no longer a Jew, like those things don't matter anymore. What he's saying is those realities are just obsolete when compared with what Christ has done for you and spoken over you. Think about it this way. When I was in college, I finally got the phone that I had really always wanted. Now, I'm not an early adopter when it comes to technology, but do you remember those black phones called the Razor? 
Some of you do, and I'll take that, all right? It was a big deal to get the cell phone that was a razor. And I got it after everybody else had already had it, and finally someone gave it to me for free, but I didn't care. I was so proud to have that razor. I had it for about three months. And then people started talking about this new phone that was going to come out that was eventually going to be able to do everything. It would be like a computer in your hands. You could, uh, you could write messages, emails on it, and you could, uh, you could have your Word documents on it. And I told them, there's no way that will ever happen. I've got a razor. And even if it does, I don't care because I've got a razor. Well, a few years later, the iPhone would indeed come out. And a few years after that, because that's how I do technology, I would get an iPhone. And you know what? I have never looked back. I am just not interested in having my flip phone razor that I was so excited about. That piece of technology, which I was so enthralled with, was obsolete before I even got it. And now it would just be bizarre for me to turn in the supercomputer that I carry in my pocket to get a razor. It would just make no sense. That's what Paul is saying about this. He's saying, look, when you focus on these externalities, the, the, the things that are on the outside of you, when, when you consider what is true of you because of Christ, it's like grabbing for a razor when you've been offered a brand new iPhone. Why would you do that? And so we've got to think about what is true of us because we're in Christ. So let me just... Let me just remind you of some of the things that are true of you and of me in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15 says that we are a new creation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says that we are the children of God. John 15, verse 15 says that we are friends of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says that we are citizens in heaven. Not later on after we die, but right now. We are already citizens of heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says that we are co-workers with God. How can you hate your job when you're a co-worker with God? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says that our own bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says that we are chosen and dearly loved. This is who we are in Christ. And that identity makes all the other identities just obsolete. It doesn't erase them. It doesn't make it go away, but it just makes them not matter as much. And that's why the church, the people of God coming together, are supposed to be made up of Republicans and Democrats, of, of bosses and employees of college-educated folks, and those who've never even finished high school. It's supposed to be made up of people who grew up in church, like Josephine, and those who are just finding it again, 
like Bruce. That's what's supposed to be happening in the body of Christ as we come together. It's what's supposed to happen in a church like ours, at the center of a city with all of its different kinds of expressions and diversity. We're supposed to be a people who come together because we understand that who we are in Christ is more true than who we are out there. And so we come together as one family of faith. And when we do that, we together serve like God's trophy room. God's trophy room depicting to the world how great and powerful and wise and merciful he really is. That's why in verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, He who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. We're not used to talking like that because it doesn't come out of our cultural context. But let me just kind of tell you what that meant in this context. There are tombstones in the Greco-Roman Empire where people are writing on their inscription their name and unlike us, where we write our name and then our birth date and our death date and maybe something nice to say about us, what they used to put on their tombstones in this ancient world was their name, but then attached with it the names of other people. And you know what we see over and over again? Is we see people who were slaves stating their name and then describing themselves as the freedman of the person who purchased their freedom. What we're seeing here is that in this context, when a slave was freed by another, someone else paid their debt and set them free, they didn't run around saying, yes, I'm free. I don't owe anything to anybody. I'm all on my own. No. What they did was they shared a new kind of connection and responsibility to that person who set them free. And they wanted everybody to know that I am the freed man of this guy. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, if you are a slave currently, then what Jesus has done is he has paid your debt in full so that now you get to say you are a slave of Christ Jesus. You get to say that you are connected to his household. And when you are connected to his household, there is no other household status, no other tribe, no other name that could give you more glory or more advancement or more, more security than his. And so the Apostle Paul says, make that name the name that you hold up. And it raises for us the question, what name are we attaching our own name to? Is it some of these smaller names that show up on social media? Or are we banking our own identity, our sense of security, our hope for the future, our purpose now, in that one 
most important relationship, the one with Jesus Christ who has saved us. I think what I want you to hear most today is that regardless of where you come from, regardless of the place in life that you uh, uh, were at when, when Christ first interrupted your reality, you have now received a new reality that so trumps all of that other stuff, it doesn't make it go away, it doesn't just disappear, but there is something more deeply true of you than you could ever imagine. And so if you spent your life avoiding Jesus by running away and rebelling, what this means is that that doesn't have to define you going forward. What defines you is the grace of God and Jesus Christ so that his name is what gives you security and forgiveness. And, and if you were someone who avoided your need for Jesus by following the rules and being a good religious person, then what this means is that that doesn't define you either. That you are set free from trying to meet your own expectations. Because in Jesus, he has done everything that's required for you. And if you try to add something to that, then you're denying the deepest truth of what God has spoken over you. That it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, that not of your identity, that not of what you, advancement you can provide so that no one can boast. There's no boasting if this is true. And it is. So we are free to respond in gratitude. Let's do that today. Jesus, help us. You know the tendency of our hearts to grasp after all sorts of other identities and securities. You know the capacity of our hearts to deceive ourselves as to what we're really building our lives on. So we need you to do your revealing and cleansing work. Would you help us to see where we've been status chasing? Would you help us to know where we have built our sense of security and our sense of self on anything other than the work that you have done for us in Jesus Christ? Would you cause his name and his fame to be what is most important to us? And would you shape us into a people who are so formed in this image of Jesus that it just makes obsolete all the other things that shape us? 
We surrender ourselves now to you and ask that you would do this work by the power of your Spirit. We pray in the good and strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.